today we're going to talk about Noah's Ark. Whether you were raised in church or not, you probably are at least familiar with the story of Noah's Ark. You're familiar with it because it's really even a part of our culture. I mean, if you think about it, we treat it kind of like a children's story, you know? Uh, we tell our kids the story and we purchase cute little toys like this one. I don't know if you all had this one, but I had this one for our kids. And it's still very popular and still sold in stores today and on the internet. We do those kind of things and, you know, they make funny movies about Noah's Ark like this one. You're familiar with Evan Almighty. It's, a, it's really a, a pretty funny parody of the, of the story. And, and we even teach our kids cute little songs in church about it, you know. I don't know if, if you weren't raised in church, you might not know this, but if you were, you're familiar with, you know, so Noah, he built him, he built him, an arky, arky. Noah, he built him, he built him, an arky, arky, made it out of. Go for barky, barky, children of the Lord. Okay. And I'm not going to sing the other 14 verses for you today. Uh, you can look that up on the internet. And listen, there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with watching a movie or having the kids' toys. Nothing wrong with any of that. But I think it's important as adults, we realize that none of these things communicate the incredible and terrible tragedy that this story was. I mean, it is gut-wrenching when you really think about it. So we're going to look at that today, this story uh, in Genesis and I hope that it opens your eyes maybe to some new things. Uh, I know some people kind of think at times that the Old Testament really isn't for us. There's not really much we can learn from it. And there's a, a little bit of truth in the sense that things don't apply exactly the way today as they did to in the Old Testament. But we learn a lot about God's character. We learn a lot about uh, what God wants for us. We learn a lot about what happens when we obey and we disobey God. And so I do want us to just really think today, what are the, some of the lessons that we can take from this incredible story? we got a lot of uh, ground to cover here, and I was inundated with people uh, at the door after the first service of, of parts of the story I left out. I know, I know, okay? If we, if we really took the time to look at every verse here, uh, it would probably take us four weeks just to get through uh, Noah. And we don't really have time to do that, but I want to hit the highlights and in your community groups uh, you can certainly talk about many of those other things. I want us to see some principles, and the first one is this. Noah is a righteous man. Noah is a righteous man. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. It says, these are the generations of Noah. The Bible just got through uh, listing all the generations of Noah from uh, Adam to Seth, now down to Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, it calls him a righteous man. This means that he lived rightly. He, he mostly lived rightly. He did the things that God wanted him to do. He lived his life toward God. He wanted to do the right things. And we're going to see that that made him really a standout in his generation. When it says he was blameless here, it doesn't mean sinless. Uh, we have to take that whole phrase. It said he's blameless in his generation. What that means is in the context of his generation, when you look at uh, Noah and you look at everybody else, you go, holy moly, this guy's like blameless. I mean, you can't hardly blame him for anything compared to all the people around him. It's very important that we look at that in the context. It's blameless in his generation, not blameless in the sense of perfect. And it says that he walked with God. Now, he didn't physically walk with God, but he had a relationship with God that was ongoing. 
Daily, he was walking with God. When we see that term walking with God, it's not, hey, I I stood with God three years ago. I I met God 10 years ago. It's I'm daily walking with God. I'm I'm in a relationship with him. I I have a connection with him. We talk, we, we interact. We have this wonderful relationship that's ongoing. This is the character of Noah. This is who he was. He was indeed a righteous man. I want us to see next the cause of the worldwide flood. I think many times we maybe just hang it up on the word sin. Sin caused the flood, but, but really let's look more specifically at what the Bible says. In chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, it says this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Corruption and violence ruled the day. Can we use the generic word sin? Of course we can. But God's saying, no, 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 they were so full of corruption and so full of violence, these two words described the entire culture. They were the general descriptors of the human race. Now, God's saying here, listen, I'm I'm fed up with this downward spiral. I'm fed up with this downward spiral of sin that was started by Adam and Eve, who took of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, And then Cain, their son, killed his brother, Abel. He kind of upped the ante. And then a few generations later, we see that Lamech had multiple wives. He he perverted what God had set as the natural order of marriage. And he even bragged to his wives about killing man for hitting him. Now, several generations later, the spiral continued until corruption and violence were the only descriptors to describe mankind. And God basically says to Noah, I am going to put a stop to this. I am going to put a stop to this by destroying all living creatures. That's the cause of the worldwide flood. Man's sinful uh, embrace to corruption and violence that ruled their lives and ruled the day. And God says, I'm going to put a stop to it. Then he gives some instructions to Noah. He gives instructions to Noah. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 21. And God's very specific in his instructions to Noah. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breadth of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. 
And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into the ark, you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Here, that when it says to store up food, uh, God is only referring, he's only referring to uh, uh, plants. Uh, men were not meat eaters yet. That happens after the flood. And so uh, these are the instructions to Noah. God's very, very specific to him. Uh, a cubit, by the way, is about 18 inches long. So if you think about a cubit is about a foot and a half. And so he said, uh, make three floors, make it a three-story high-rise, you know. Put the door on the side, make it of gopher wood, cover it with pitch so that it won't leak. And roughly the size is kind of that right there. Football field is 100 yards, 300 feet, and the ark was 450 feet long. And so it was basically a football field and a half long. It was 75 feet across and 45 feet high. So it was a pretty big deal. In fact, uh, when people begin to debate, there's no possible way to put all the animals in there. Uh, I want you to know that people have figured this up, and, and you actually can. Uh, the, the ark itself was basically the same as 522 standard railroad stock cars, each that can hold 240 sheep. Now, it would only take 188 of those 522 cars uh, to be filled up with uh, the animals and hold basically 45,000 sheep size animals. Now, some are larger, some are smaller. That would leave 312 cars of the 522 for food and supplies and for Noah's family. Now, today, some say that there are approximately 17,600 species of animals, making 45,000 a likely approximation of the number of animals in the ark. Because, of course, like I said, some are larger than sheep, some are smaller. In fact, if you want to break it down even further, <clears throat> Gleason Archer, a, a biblical scholar and theologian, uh, says that there are 290 species of land animals that are actually larger than sheep. There are 757 uh, species from sheep to rats size. And there are 1,358 uh, animals that are rats to gnats size. And all of those could fit into the ark very easily. In fact, you could fit all of those species into the ark, two at a time for the unclean animals and seven at a time, which we'll see here in a minute, for the clean animals. And all of those could fit in the ark and actually about a third of the space for the ark. Now, that is a big deal. That was a big ask of God to give these instructions to Noah. Noah's been walking with God. He's got a relationship with him. And, and God just says, hey, Noah... I got something I got to ask you to do. I need you to do this for me. And guess what Noah's response was? He's obedient to God. He's obedient to God. Now, this was a pretty crazy command on God's part, if you think about it. Because up until this point, there's no biblical history that it had rained before. There's no biblical history that it ever flooded before. Water had come out of the ground like springs before. Now, have you ever 
built something in a room or in your basement that you realized afterward was too big to fit through the door? I remember in middle school or junior high, I built this incredibly cool fort of Jamestown. And it was on a four-by-four-foot sheet of plywood in my basement. And, and I, I built this thing, and, man, I just went to all this detail. I had all these guys on it and all these buildings I built with by hand and, and just spent hours and hours and hours on this thing, got it all put together, and we picked it up. And on the day I was supposed to take it to school, we thought, oh, no, it won't fit out the door. And nothing's glued down. It's all just sitting there. And so we had to turn it up on its side to get it out the door, and everything fell off. And, and I thought to myself, isn't it crazy to build something in a place that it's really not made to be? God asked Noah to build a giant boat on dry land. Think about that for a minute. That's a little crazy. It's a little crazy to ask God, for God to ask Noah to do that. God had to be testing Noah's faith and his trust. Now, God told him what was going to happen, but he'd never seen water come out of the sky before. He'd never seen water come up out of the ground before. And God tells him this is what he's going to do. So build this ginormous boat on dry land so I can save your family. That's a pretty big ask. But Noah was obedient, folks. He was obedient. Look in Genesis chapter 6, 22 through 7, 9, and let's see what he does. And see in this passage how many times God says he was obedient. So this is after all the instructions. Noah did this. He did it. He did all that God commanded him to do. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded him, and as he commanded Noah. So we see here that Noah was completely and totally obedient to God. It says it several times in there. He just did it. No arguing, no debating, no, no need for explanation. No, hey God, are you sure? I mean, just a thought, shouldn't we build this close to a lake? or a river, or an ocean, or something. He didn't do that. He just did what God said. Here's a great lesson for us, folks. Noah just obeyed God even when he didn't understand. Even when he, I mean, God had told him, but his mind couldn't possibly comprehend all that. Listen, we would do ourselves a lot of good and save ourselves a lot of headache and heartache to just be more like Noah. God says it, I'm going to do it. I don't always understand. I don't always maybe even agree. I'm just going to do it because God says to do it. Noah did that. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. No shortcuts. Just exactly what God said. Now I want you to think about something. <clears throat> it took Noah 
And if you read all of the, we're skipping around some of the verses here, but if you read all the verses, you have to figure out when his sons were born and how, what year of this and what year of that. And you can figure it out that it's about 55 to 75 years is how long it took Noah to build this boat. So on day one, he starts to gather some gopher wood and he begins building this boat in his backyard. All right. And he begins to uh, take shape after a few weeks. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Noah's neighbor, I'd go, dude, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, that thing's one and a half football fields long if I knew what a football field was. That is huge. What are you building? How could it possibly be? What are you doing? And then when Noah turned to him and said, well, I'm, I'm building a boat. Because uh, water's going to come from the sky and water's going to come from the ground and flood the whole earth. This was going on for, a, you know, 55 to 75 years. He was telling people what he was doing. People were seeing it come together. And not one person, not one person in that 55 to 75 years, when the signs are there and the judgment of God is coming, not one of them gives in to God. But I want you to see in this God's incredible patience and his mercy for those who are far from him. He asked Noah to begin building this boat, which had to cause a ruckus. And he's, he's patiently waiting. He's, he's making him build something large enough. Of course, it'll hold all the animals, but it'll also take him a long time to do so that hopefully people will see it and repent and turn to God. They'll turn away from their sinful corruption and violence and turn to God. God is so patient with us, folks. He is so patient. But he is only patient so long. We see here that after Noah is completely obedient to God and he goes through this process and he, says, and he builds this ark, God's judgment finally comes through the flood. God's judgment comes through the flood. Look at Genesis chapter 7, verses 10 through 24. It says, and after seven days, and that's not seven days he built it, that's after these seven days that he's saying this. After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them, entered the ark, they and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed upon the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. 
he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. God's judgment comes. God followed through with his plan. And folks, he does so because he cannot and he will not tolerate sin. Will he be patient with us? Yes. Will he offer us mercy and grace? Yes. But at some point, God says, enough is enough. And he will no longer tolerate our sin. 55 to 75 years, it's coming And not one person repents and turns to God. Not one. Not one. We see in this passage that God shuts the door, not Noah. Which I think is fascinating because it doesn't say this specifically, but I think that God shuts them in as much as he shuts the others out. Then the water comes from the sky and water comes up out of the ground and it covers the whole earth. Folks, God's judgment is absolute and it is complete. All of those who had embraced this lifestyle of violence and corruption, giving in to their sin and their pride, they're gone. They were just gone. It's as though in some way God were washing the sin off of the face of the earth and everybody that participated in it. I, I guess this is where I want to say that even though we want to keep teaching our children this story, um, this, this is not a children's story. In fact, uh, I wouldn't want to, you know, mess up our kids' brains, but really even for that little toy with the boat, you know, that I showed you at the very beginning, that little Noah's Ark with all the animals, I think to be accurate, maybe there should be some uh, some little people that are halfway in the water and halfway out. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, this is not a cute little story about a guy and some animals. Think about if you've seen the movie Titanic, those terrible, tragic uh, uh, scenes where the water is full of people that could not escape and went to their demise. That's happening over the whole earth. We need to understand this. We need to get this, folks. Because while God's salvation for knowing his family is total and complete, God's judgment for those who have thumbed their nose at him is also total and complete. We see after some time, the water subsides. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and then skip down to verses 13 through 19. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month of the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. 
In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons, your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. The water here subsides. We see here that after 150 days, the water subsides enough for the, uh, the ark to come rest on a mountain. And, it, and, and actually, uh, it's almost a complete year before his family actually leave the ark along with all the animals. God has saved them. He has done exactly what he promised. It's amazing. God has saved him. So what's the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark? You know, I, uh, I've traveled internationally several times, and man, almost every time I go to a, another country and I have to in, endure a different diet, as soon as I get back to the airport in, in the United States, I run to the nearest Taco Bell. <laughs> if I had been on the ark for a year, I think the first thing I would do would be to look for a Taco Bell. But what does Noah do? What does he do when he first gets out? He worships the Lord. He worships the Lord. Look at Genesis 8.20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, that's why he took seven instead of two, and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. If you were animal three through seven, you were in trouble. Okay. Now, I want you to understand something about this. There is absolutely no command for Noah to do this. He does this completely and totally of his own volition. He doesn't do it out of obedience to God. He does this out of thankfulness and gratefulness. He said, God, I'm looking around and I see the destruction. Thank you. Wow, I worship you. Folks, that's why we should come here and worship not out of obligation, not because God commands it somewhere, but out of thankfulness for what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you from your sins and you have experienced life here abundantly and life in the future eternally, man, you should be here every Sunday because we don't have worship services every day of the week. Maybe we should. But when we open these doors on Sunday, man, we ought to be excited about being here. It's no obligation. It's no thing to check off. It's no religious duty. It's an opportunity to come together and celebrate what God has done for us. You know, Pastor Derek was sharing uh, when we came to doing the offering. He said, listen, don't do this out of obligation. If you come here and just begrudgingly go, oh, man, there's another however many dollars gone from me. If you're doing it with that kind of heart, just stop giving. Okay? Really? I mean, I, I get in trouble when I say things like this with God, I think. I, I don't know. Uh, but, but listen, God doesn't need your money. He just doesn't. This church is going to go on with or without your offering. Okay? But here's what God does want. He wants your heart. He wants your life. And when I look and see that he gave his first and best for me, 
I just can't help but give my first and best back to him. And that's not just about money. It's, it's my life. It's my time. It's my talent. It's, it's everything. Noah comes out of the ark, and he loves God so much. He appreciates him so much. He's so thankful and so grateful that he immediately sets up an altar and worships. Folks, sin is already judged, and sinners are as well. But God reached down and saved us out of his judgment that is coming, just like God saved Noah. It's amazing how we repeat history, you know? People have years to decide to follow God, watching Noah build an ark. They see it. They see what's going on. God's patient with them. But eventually, the time for patience runs out, and God's judgment falls on all who have not turned to him. Folks, it's the same with us. Jesus died on the cross. You can see that everywhere. I mean, there are, there are Christian bookstores that are just full of stuff. Uh, there are churches on every corner, it seems like. In our culture, there's no way to avoid at least understanding who God is and that he has a son, Jesus. I mean, even people who don't love God, who don't come to church, they still come on Christmas and Easter because they just know there's something about that they should do. You see, people in our culture see what Jesus has done, see what God has done for them, and they too are ignoring it. God is patient. God is waiting. God is, God is just oh, agonizing to bring them in. And yet some will reject him until it's too late. Folks, now is the time to worship the Lord. Now is the time to give your heart and your life to him. Please don't wait until it begins raining. It'll be too late. It'll be too late. After knowing his family come out and he worships God, I want you to see that God makes a promise. God makes a promise. It's in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God made a covenant with Noah and all living things to never destroy the earth again with a worldwide flood. And as a signature on that covenant, as a, as a signing process, he said, I'm going to create uh, a rainbow. I'm going to create a bow in the clouds. And every time I see it, I will remember and you will remember that I have promised to never do a worldwide flood again and to kill all flesh. 
And so every time you see this, folks, remember it's a covenant between God and all living things that he has promised never to bring that kind of judgment on the world again. Noah's obedience and his relationship with God brought life for him. It saved his life. But I also want you to see that it saved the life of his family. It never says that his three sons were righteous. It never says that his three sons were blameless in their generation. It says that Noah was. But he allowed Noah to bring his three sons and their wives in with him. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that if we live a good godly life in front of our children, that there's a guarantee that they're going to follow God. But folks, the statistics are very, very, very strong. If you live a godly life in front of your children, if you pray with them, if you read them God's word, if you teach them when things are difficult uh, to pray to God and, and, and just have faith in him and rely on him and lean on him, you, you model that for your children. And guess what? The statistics are immeasurably higher that they too will follow God. There is this, leg, man, there's this legacy, this pattern that goes on all throughout the Bible. And so the pressure is on us. Bring life to yourself and your family by following God, by giving your life to him. What we mean by that is if you are here today and you've never what we call crossed the line of faith or put your faith and trust in Jesus, realize that you too are a sinner like the rest of us and that without having someone to pay for that sin, which you cannot pay for yourself, you will stand before God, dirty and sinful, and you will experience his judgment. But God in his infinite love for us, in his mercy, in his grace, has sent his son Jesus to pay for that, for that penalty. And so when he died on the cross by putting our faith and trust in him and what he did there, we can receive forgiveness of our sins. We can receive this relationship with God that births us into his family, births us spiritually into his family and brings us eternal life that has already begun. Folks, don't minimize the importance of this in your life and don't minimize your influence on your children or your legacy. Noah lived a good life. He was a good man and it affected his children drastically. We can do the same thing. But I want us to also walk away here from, from uh, today and I want us to really understand every one of us is either going to experience God's salvation like Noah did or God's judgment like his neighbors did. There's no in between. I want to encourage you. Give your life to Christ. Do it today. Live for him and let's model well for our children and build a lasting legacy of godly uh, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that we will see in heaven with us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, for your spirit that guides us. Father, thank you for Noah, for his life, for his faithfulness to you to just do what you say. God, help us be like that. Help us read your word and say, I'm going to do that now, right now. God, I pray that you would use this story to 
uh, enlighten us, help us as we teach our children. God, I pray that you would help us to model well for our children and our grandchildren how to know and love you, that they would live for you and they would experience the joy of having a relationship with you. Father, we also pray that you would help our minds uh, to get out of any kind of thinking where we think that we are coming here as an obligation or as some kind of religious uh, uh, duty. But Father, we come here every week ready to worship you, sing to you, give to you, uh, listen to your word, uh, uh, make decisions to follow you. And we do all of that because we love you for what you have done for us. Help us to worship you with our lives out of gratefulness and thankfulness for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.